Hello and welcome to the Seeking Health Podcast. I am Josiah. And I'm in Jessica. We were missionaries for seven years until we stepped back in 2019 to seek health and re-examine our beliefs. Right now, I'm a Christian, but not an evangelical. And I'm an agnostic. And we are deconstructing and reconstructing together. together. Listen to some of our key episodes, such as Deconstructing Together, Domestic Abuse, I Am a Survivor, The Cult of ATI Part 1 and 2, and Dehumanized by Purity Culture. Join us on our journey as we seek health together. together. So something that we've had a lot of questions about on our Instagram and on our um, private messages messages is people asking us in the deconstruction deconstruction community, um, what you're saying is great and our progress is great and we've been finding so much help, but how do we talk to our kids? And we have five kids, so it's logical for people to come to us and assume that we have answers. But <laughs> the truth is we don't have a lot of answers. We're well, pretty new yeah. to this. It's only been like 16 months since we left. And COVID has made it that we could kind of avoid the question of why we're not in church. <laughs> and as you can see from our introduction, I'm a Christian. She's not. So it, it might be a little bit more complex than couples that deconstruct together. Um, but we have we have a few things that... that we have some, a little bit of wisdom, but we're really students on this subject. And so we've brought on an expert on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rachel, we've really appreciated uh, your content, especially on TikTok. And you have post-Mormon parenting on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And so we'd love to ask you, how do you uh, help your kids to come with you on the journey of deconstruction or re-examining their faith or whatever you want to call it post-church post-church making 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 their life their own um so first of all i'm I'm just curious uh would you like to just share a little bit about yourself and your story and how you came to this place of being post-church in your case post-mormon church yeah thank you guys so much for having me i am rachel of post-mormon parenting and it's so nice meeting the both of you and you are too kind i wouldn't say i'm an expert by any means <laughs> except for my own parenting journey that's about all that i'm an expert in and i've just made it my mission to devour as many books as i can and try to find as many resources as i can and try to ask all the questions and um try to uh hopefully not screw up my kids right aren't we all (laughs) (laughs) yeah trying to give them a little bit less trauma than maybe what we grew up with and yeah hopefully they'll have a little less to deconstruct than we did so (laughs) um yeah so i grew up i was born and raised in the mormon church also known as latter-day saints or as the full name of the church is the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints And a couple of years ago, the leader of the church said, hey, we're not going to use the word Mormon anymore. We're just going to tell all of our friends, we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is just kind of nonsense. Like, I'm just going to say Mormon. Like, we all (laughs) We were part of the I am a Mormon campaign for years and years. And yeah, so we're just going to stick with Mormon. So all of my... uh, friends who are still in the church might have a hard time with that because the, but the prophet said anyways. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so my name is uh, postmodern parenting and um, yeah, so I grew up on the East coast. So a little bit different of a culture from some of my friends who grew up in Mormon central in Utah, Idaho, Arizona, a little bit of California. Um, I had a lot more uh, like feminist uh, young women leaders And uh, my mom was a little bit feminist as well uh, in her own ways. And um, so I had just like a little bit different of a perspective. And then I moved out here toward Mormon Central and I saw so many issues that a lot of my female friends were struggling with body image, uh, you know, things left over from purity culture that they had instilled in them even more strongly than I had gotten um, and, uh, you know, intimacy issues within their marriage, which I listened to a, a recent episode that you guys did. And it was amazing. It was just, like, just so eye opening, um, and things like that. But, um, let's see. Then when I was about 20 years old, I got married. I met my husband at the Lord's university at Brigham Young university in Utah. And, uh, we have three children. We, 
stopped believing around two years ago. So I think I got a little bit of a head start on you guys. Yep. <laughs> and my kids are quite little. My oldest was six when we stopped attending. And so that kind of makes it a lot easier on me. I don't have a 13 year old or 14 or 15 year old, you know, kids who really grew up in it and were kind of molded by it and have found their community at church. Yeah. So I'm lucky in that way because my kids were like, great. We hated going to church anyway. (laughs) Thank goodness we get to stay home. And they've heard us talk out loud as we're deconstructing the last couple of years. So all of my kids, uh, have not a great view maybe of the church anymore (laughs) which that gives itself another uh challenge for me and for my family because a lot of their friends are still members of the church so I have to um have lots of conversations with them about this is how we can be respectful of their beliefs even though yeah you've heard all the things that we've said about it and the (laughs) harm that the church does but we still need to be respectful and maybe not go around evangelizing about how God is not real and you know Opposite evangelism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's, uh, I don't know, that's a little bit about me. Um, and I thought we'd start off today by talking a little bit about uh, our views about parenting when we're in that very traditional, conservative, fundamentalist kind of religious mindset um, and how we can think of alternatives. Do you guys have any questions or anything you want to cover before we go into that? Well, I just wanted to mention, uh, it might be strange to some of our listeners uh, to talk about Mormonism in the same breath as evangelicalism. But I just wanted to mention, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but it does seem as though there's a lot of similarities there. Well, do you want to talk about, as a Mormon, what what are some of the similarities that you've noticed? Sure. Sure. So maybe I'll, I'll give a little bit and then and Jessica, you can uh, give your two cents as well. I don't know that there are a whole lot of differences. I know that uh, in Mormonism, we, um, so we believe in Jesus Christ as savior and redeemer, you know, that we are all fallen. We have sins and no unclean thing can dwell with God. So we need somebody to make an atonement for us. And, um, and then we accept his sacrifice for us. And, uh, and then we can, you know, live with God again. And that's basically the gist of, of the religion. I think in Mormonism, we have a lot of performative act as well. And maybe that might be a little bit of difference between Mormonism and evangelicals, where we have lots of rituals that we have to do also in order to be saved or to go to like the highest level of heaven, best heaven. Um, so, you know, you have to be baptized, you have to Uh, If you're uh, male, you have to get the priesthood and uh, you have to be married in the temple. You have to be sealed for forever with your spouse. Um, Those are the main ones. And I don't think there's a lot of that in evangelicalism. I know in Mormonism, uh, a lot of times we're accused of a little bit like the Pharisees. Like we keep the rules in order to qualify ourselves for heaven And it is a little bit of that. Yeah, you have to keep the rules. You have to make sure you're worthy in order to receive Jesus's gift in order to get to heaven. So it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag there, I think. Um, But as far as like modesty culture, you know, oh, modesty is huge. You know, when once you get married in the temple, you have to wear certain undergarments that you probably have heard of. If your listeners haven't heard of this, it's Uh, It's basically like a t-shirt underneath your regular clothes and your underwear that you wear is like shorts length and out goes all the way down to your knees. And so you have to wear these underneath your regular clothes and it kind of forces you to wear very modest clothing um, because that's huge. So modesty culture, you don't want to tempt the boys around you and make them think lustful thoughts in their hearts. Um, The other is purity culture, right? So you save yourself for marriage. Virginity is huge. Your value and your worthiness before God is based in huge part on your virginal status uh, for men and women, but especially for women, really. Um, so I think those are most of the things that I've noticed. And Jessica, uh, what, what have you noticed as similarities and differences between the two? I think you've highlighted it really well. Yeah. Um, it that's the same thing I see as well. You do have those extra um, things that you do in a temple 
um, we don't have that as much um, not, as they're obvious. Not, they're not explicit, but it's there. <laughs> um, like we'll we'll say we're saved by grace, not by works. But you better be modest. You better wait for marriage. You better not drink in certain circles. You know, you better not um, in certain circles. You better wear a head covering. And um, you know, it depends which branch of evangelicalism. But it, it's there. Like you are baptized. You take communion. Some places have the foot washing. Some like it. It. it these unspoken rules, or or not unspoken, but not as laid out and outright as in the Mormon Church. But it's still there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just not as acknowledged. Um, yeah. But like almost like toxic positivity as well. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So I, as I stepped away from the church last year, I connected, I joined various deconstruction groups on Facebook and then like got connected on Instagram with some people. And I really connected a lot with ex-Mormons. Um, and it was and I, I still, I still talk with a bunch of them. Like it, it was really fascinating to me how quickly we connected and understood each other. Um, and to me, that spoke a lot to, it might be wrapped differently, but underneath is the same <laughs> um, yes. core, core things. Um, so as I was wanting to do, I've really been wanting to do a podcast on parenting, but I know I'm still the student here. <laughs> I'm still learning so much. And I came across yours and I was like, I love what you share. And it doesn't matter that your background is Mormonism and ours is evangelicalism because the struggle of leaving it is the same. And the struggle of relearning to parent is extremely similar. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up when, since I've been on TikTok, I've noticed so many similarities between uh, the videos that I produce and other content creators uh, produce between ex-Mormons, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, ex-Seventh-day Adventists, ex-Evangelicals, ex-Muslims as well. Mm. Uh, I think all of us coming from these very uh, conservative, very fundamentalist and and orthodox practices have so, so much in common. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're all deconstructing kind of the same things. Yeah. And like, even just this, like from a historical point, all these religions, except for Mormonism that you mentioned, came to birth within America in the last 150 years. You know, evangelicalism came to birth and, and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and like it, like it all grew up together That's around so charismatic leaders and probably yeah. even the types of, of Islam that would be in America would have grown up, you know, in a certain way. And so the, the purity culture and, and the way that we idolize the priesthood and, and prop up male leadership and all these things, it, it is very, very similar because it all grew up together. And yeah, sure. We like to say, oh, those are, you know, that's a cult or whatever, but it's like, it's our cousin, you know, we, we all grew <laughs> up together. So anyways, all that's that so to true. say, yeah, good point. We're, we're really excited to hear what you have to say about parenting. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. So let's start out with this lens that we grew up with in parenting, right? And I say we talking about all the groups that we just discussed, we all have this very similar kind of view and maybe the flavors are a little bit nuanced, a little bit different, but it, it kind of comes down to this core uh, perspective. And that is that children do well and they behave well when they want to behave well. And this means that if our kids are misbehaving, say they're not sitting quietly in church or they're not getting ready for school and time is running out or they're not sharing with their sibling, et cetera, et cetera. um, It's because they would prefer to do those other things instead of the right thing, right? And, And if we believe that, then we also believe that our job as parents is to make them want to do the right thing. And so we do this through a system of rewards and punishments. We try to make it desirable to do the right thing and undesirable to do the wrong thing, right? We use sticker charts, lollipops. We say, if you reach these goals, you get a trip with mom or dad to the ice cream store. And we give them punishments when they have uh, bad or undesirable behavior. We, we isolate them. We give them timeouts. We ground them. We take away their phones. We try to coerce them and force them into having this good behavior, at least wanting to have this good behavior. And uh, we get this kind of modeling through our 
interpretation of, uh, I, I would say, the Bible and these ancient texts, right? Because God is this ultimate parent, the ultimate authority figure who uh, does the same with us, right? He rewards good behavior and he punishes bad behavior. And um, so like if I pay a full 10% tithing, then God will open the windows of heaven and pour out so many blessings that they'll not have room enough <laughs> yeah. to receive it. Or if I look upon another person in lust, I've already committed adultery in my own heart and must be punished uh, for that by going through a harrowing repentance process and groveling for forgiveness. Um, if I dress immodestly, I'll be punished, you know, by God allowing predators to harass and or assault me. If I have premarital sex, God will kill me by giving me an STI or letting me get pregnant, or he would make it difficult for me to get pregnant later on in life when I do want to get pregnant, you know, because of this thing that I did in my past. At the very least, he will see me as less valuable than my peers and withhold blessings from me. So harsh punishments for bad behavior, great rewards for good behavior. Um, we misbehave because we don't want to do the right thing. We want to do the easier or the more tempting or the wrong thing. And if we try to be curious about these behaviors, well, why did my kid do that? Why, uh, why did he want to do the bad thing? The, the right thing is easier. And it means no yelling and timeouts and things. Um, and the answers that we come to is because, well, my kid was either uh, acted upon by the Holy Ghost and, and God to do the right thing, or my kid was acted upon by the devil to do the wrong thing. He was tempted and, and gave into that temptation. So this kind of mindset has been so drilled into us. I mean, at, at least for me since birth, right, um, that it's, it's difficult to even conceptualize the possibility of an alternative. So the alternative is this, children do well and behave well when they can. And this means that if kids are misbehaving, you know, they're not sitting quietly in church or they're not getting ready for school on time or they're not sharing with their sibling, it's not because they're choosing to give you a hard time, but it's because they are having a hard time because they, they know what is the right thing to do and they want to, but they lack the skills necessary to be able to to do what you're expecting of them. So when we have this kind of perspective, we realize that a system of rewards and punishments isn't effective. It's not gonna be helpful to help our kids do what they need to do. If my kid has never been taught how to tie his or her, his or her shoes, then no amount of sticker charts is going to make them tie their shoes. All it's gonna do is make them feel like life. this is so unfair and so unjust and you're not seeing me, you're not hearing me and now I'm gonna have this big tantrum and outburst, right? Um, if my kid is lacking in time management skills or say maybe they're having a hard time transitioning from one activity to another, they're having a hard time transitioning that mindset going from say outdoor playing into inside, now it's time to be quiet and, and sit good and eat your dinner. Um, that's a skill that maybe they haven't built up very well yet. Maybe they need some help with that. Um, and again, so just punishing them for not doing what you're expecting of them is not gonna be helpful when they're lacking in that skill. Maybe my teenager is having premarital sex. Under my Old Testament informed perspective, they're gonna be doing that because the devil is working on them and them and you know the, the natural man is an enemy to God and our carnal nature, you know, and they're choosing wickedness over righteousness and need to be punished to curb that behavior. But what if they're doing it because they're curious about sex and their bodies and they don't know any other way to satisfy that curiosity? Or maybe my teen is filled with um, that feeling of desire for self-autonomy and they have so many restrictions placed on them in their life that this is the only outlet that they can think of to effectively feel that feeling of autonomy and freedom. And I, I know that that might seem trivial, but let's remember that old saying like, give me liberty or give me death, right? <laughs> this is huge. Just that feeling of like, I need to be autonomous. I need to have freedom in my life. So what if that's the driving force for them, you know, having premarital sex? Uh, or, uh, or tons and tons of other reasons, right? Again, punish, rounding them, taking away their phones, thinking of some kinds of like sending them away somewhere. Like none of that is going to address their underlying issues and the reasons behind the behavior. And so 
something that I've come to realize is that all behavior is communication. Hmm. Whatever our kids do, their behaviors are symptoms of what's really going on inside. And they give us clues about what's happening inside. And so if we have that kind of perspective, right, then we can identify the reason or reasons, there's usually more than one, behind their behavior. And then we can help our kids by teaching them the tools and skills that they need uh, in order to get their needs met in more healthy ways. And we can teach them these are the healthy ways of achieving self-autonomy and freedom, right? And these are healthy ways about, about answering your questions about sex. I know you're curious, like all humans are. That's a very human thing. Um, maybe my kid is really lacking the skill of empathy. Maybe they're hitting and biting and kicking and being mean to their sibling because they haven't really developed that skill of being able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. So when I realize, okay, maybe that's the problem here. That's the real problem here. I don't have to just keep punishing the behavior over and over and expecting things to change. It's not going to happen, right? Instead, I can sit down with them and teach them empathy. We can have a conversation. I can walk them through scenarios like how would you how do you think you would feel if someone you admired completely ignored you and acted like you weren't there you know maybe do some role playing with them pretend i'm so and so and you're so and so what would you say you know we can read books and watch movies about empathy and, and things like that so again just like more ideas on how to give them the skills that they need because children will do well and behave well when they can't, when they have the skills necessary to, to um, help them do that. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of what I've learned comes through lots of different sources throughout the last couple of years that I've been reading. But most, uh, most recently, I, I picked up a book uh, by Ross Green called um, The Explosive Child. And he talks about these concepts really in depth. So if anyone wants to read a little bit more uh, have that maybe fleshed out for them. I highly recommend his book. I just picked it up the other day. I'm a little more than like a quarter of the way through it. So, uh, but it's, it's been really helpful so far already. So definitely recommend that. Um, yeah. yeah just I was thinking with what you were saying, like it, it's learn them learning those skills, but it's also uh, development, like some certain ages don't get it yet because <laughs> yeah. their brain exactly. hasn't developed to that level. So how can you, you know, like something that my family ended up um, getting into is blanket training. So a child would sit on the blanket and never get off the blanket until the parent allowed them so that in church, they could sit on the blanket. And even if the toy rolled off the blanket, they could not get the toy. Um, and I'm like, that's very, that is at oh. an age, young toddler that does not understand that. So the only reason they are able to be, to do it is because of, harsh punishment basically abuse um they're so terrified of because what, of trauma because of trauma they're so mm -hmm. terrified of what of the spankings they're going to get and how they're going to get hit that they will obey <laughs> but their brain does not understand what's going on absolutely when my husband and i first got married um some evangelical friends of the family gave us a book and it talked about blanket training yeah and oh it just makes my skin crawl just yeah. remembering what we were reading about that uh, it's, it's just absolutely terrifying and a very good recipe for how to traumatize your children and make them have a very, very hard time throughout their life. Starting yeah. That's, that's such early, um, foundational age. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I saw it practiced in my family oh, and it just broke my heart. <laughs> that, that is very heartbreaking. The I'm other so thing sorry. I, the other thing I heard you say, which I think is very appropriate is these religions tend to to focus us on sin versus righteousness and there's this black and white dichotomy. And um, I think it might be a little different in Mormonism, but we were raised with original sin that, you know, we're all sinners that mm -hmm. our default setting is sin. Our default setting is wicked. Our best works are like filthy rags. So, you know, if I remember the first time that my child disbehaved as a two-year-old, I remember thinking to myself, here's the sinner coming out when really, you know, a two-year-old, you know, he's, he's just like, he doesn't even understand no yet. He, he's just, you know, throwing things because 
he's never thrown something before, <laughs> you know, yeah. everything is new and exciting. And, and this is something to be celebrated. Yes, you do have to, you know, baby proof your house and, and put boundaries around, but there's a limit to how much you can really teach a two-year-old to obey. You know, we just got rid of our fish tank because our two-year-old dumped fish food in it for the second time. And it was just like, we just can't, you know, but a younger version of me probably would have gone to discipline and thinking like, here's the wicked sinner that's not listening to his father. And, and, you know, how does this reflect on me and, and whatever? Let's practice training him. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's put the fish food there. And then when he touches it, then there'll be this horrible consequence is, right. is kind of the traditional quote unquote, traditional old school, um, which I don't like that term because it makes it sound like it's old, like cheese is old. It gets better when it's old, like old school is bad <laughs> in this case. Um, yeah. But this, you know, children are not black and white, good and bad. Uh, often it's just curiosity or it's the, just their natural development uh, as they progress through life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you can see how that would have such a harmful effect on our kids. Now, I'm going to say, give yourself some grace, right? You don't have to live your whole life living in regret of, of treating your children like that. I know all parents in our positions probably did about the same things. I know I did. I talked about yeah. this in one of my TikToks about how, um, how harmful it was for my oldest kid because I did raise him with this kind of like, you need to obey me. You need to learn to be exactly obedient. And this is the number one highest priority um which is Don't just so why, just do <laughs> yeah yeah which really goes against our human nature again yeah. that give me liberty or give me death like I would rather <laughs> die than yes. be told everything I need to do why would my child be any different yeah you're just a younger version of me yeah so uh, we were all there we all messed up our first kids Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, there's therapy that we know we can send them to later in life when they hit their <laughs> mid thirties and they start having their life crises and all I these to, that they kept suppressed all these years start bubbling to the surface. I was telling just that I've told Josiah several times, like I think their high school graduation gift should be like therapy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, all of our oldest children will be attending therapy for sure. Hopefully, we'll do better with our younger ones. Am I right? Yeah. 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 So let's talk about then morality, because now that we're out of this mindset of everything you do is either a sin or it's righteousness. And there's this mm -hmm. black and white dichotomy. What we fear now is swinging the pendulum way to the other side and saying, well, now nothing matters. There's right. no right or wrong. Do whatever you want. Live a very hedonistic lifestyle. Eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow. We die. <laughs> right? We don't exactly want to swing the pendulum to the other way. And if you have already, like, again, give yourself some grace. We're all in this learning experience together. Um, but here's, here's maybe a different way of thinking about our new models of, of morality. So under, under our, our old models, we had this idea that there's this, um, you know, God is sitting on his throne, doling out these particular rules, no matter what the rules are, these are our moral guidelines. If, if God says, go to, um, you know, this city and walk around and beat your trumpets and the walls will fall and you get to take everybody as prisoners or kill them or, you know, it, whatever, it's yours, <laughs> it's yours, right? Uh, genocide. Uh, well, that's morally good, right? Because it came from God. And so we're kind of used to this idea of like, we get to be told by this higher authority figure, what is right and what is wrong. We don't really need to figure it out ourselves. Whatever he says, done, we do it. Um, now we got to kind of figure things out for ourselves. And that's, I think, a lot harder to do. And so something that's helped guide me as I think about, well, what, it, what is morally grounded? What is a good source of ethics for my kids? And it all comes down to, um, for me, safety. Um, safety in physical aspect, as well as an emotional and mental aspect. So is my kid being safe around his siblings, right? Is he playing safely around them? Is he being mindful of their physical safety? Is he hurting them physically? Or is he being mindful about, or, and, and is he being mindful about their emotional and mental safety? You know, are, is he making sure that they understand that he cares about their feelings too. And he's not harming their feelings 
he's not making anybody feel neglected, just like he would not want to feel neglected. He's not making anyone feel, um, um, let's say, jealous, you know, just like he wouldn't want anyone to try to make him feel jealous, things like that, you know. And I think that's, uh, I try to keep it simple so that my kids can remember also. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of been a good rule of thumb for me. As you guys have been going through this for your last year, what have you guys kind of been uh, pondering about as far as like morality goes <laughs> in that sense? Now I'm putting you guys on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> now we're just like, what? we're at a loss for words for once. And, and, and that's okay. And that's okay. It's, it's so good to know that like, it's okay to not know the answer, yeah. right? We're coming out of this whole system. I mean, for, for me, like, we it, have all the answers that we need. Yeah. For me, it's really been learning to live in the gray. Like I use that term a lot in my, mm-hmm. or I think about that term a lot. Like life is not black and white anymore. Um, and I love love that we get to live in the gray like that we don't have to have all the answers and we don't have to know it all um and what we teach our kids doesn't come down to like if you love jesus or because you're a sinner (laughs) it's just i just want them to be good people you know i just want them to be good contributors to society and to live in this world be off this world <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, not to feel like they're foreigners and they have to figure out how to live in this world the way we are now because we're out of the bubble um so I just want them good people you know good people to themselves but to others mm-hmm. um I guess that's kind of been my go-to this year <laughs> mm-hmm. I think as we were talking before this I realized there's some things we have done for years already that actually have been pretty good. Um, like we haven't, like I was into apologetics. I was, I'm, I'm more educated. Um, and so in some ways I was seeing through some of the evangelicalism. I still had to kind of teach it and put on a front, but there, in some ways I didn't completely believe the black and whiteness of that other people might've have thought. And so I did try and pass that on to our older kids. Like, exposing them to like it was kind of a big deal I got them to read Harry Potter just like you know here's a bunch of different ideas you know and and they're going to public school this year and um and I do really encourage them to think critically I don't I don't tell them this is you know how old the earth is this is this belief you know it's like well here's different perspectives and I don't even necessarily follow up on the on it like it's just you hear comments now and then like well this is what I think and they're making up their own minds. So um, that's something that I don't have a lot of regrets about. I, I feel good about that. And something that um, we've done early on and it kind of came naturally is um, even with our really little kids, I remember yelling at one of our kids across the playground, hey, that's her body, leave her alone. And that's something we've been really strong on. Like your sister has her own body and her body is her space and you don't have a right to violate that. And that comes in very early because kids feel as though they have a right to do anything they want. And, and that is something talking about ethics where, you know, your, your rights end where their body begins. You don't have a right to do something to their body that they don't want you to do to their body, which the obviously, bubble. yeah. And, <laughs> and we did have one kid that was very um, sensory. sensory. And so then we, we had this bubble concept. <laughs> bubble concepts, like don't touch the personal bubble. Don't go into the personal bubbles. So they're like, I'm going to kiss the bubble. <laughs> But it, I don't know, like, (laughs) it made him so mad. (laughs) Don't kiss my bubble. (laughs) But I I think doing something that they're smelling me, they're smelling my bubble. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah, we've always been very um, intuitive parenting, um, even though. We were definitely very steeped in evangelicalism. I mean, we were missionaries. We were, we were really all in. Um, but our our intuition in terms of parenting and how each child is different and stuff, it's always been pretty strong. It's kind of neat looking back yeah. that we didn't we didn't soak up all the, the religious um, parenting books. We didn't really read them. <laughs> good, good for you. Yeah. But I have to say this little story. We went to, we had to travel to a lot of churches and people's homes when we were missionaries. 
And so we stayed in this one home and we, for one night, and then before we knew it, when we were back home, we got a parenting book in the mail from this family. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a I was like, my kids, they were pretty decently were pretty beha- behaved when we were there. So yeah, I did not read the book. <laughs> they, they sent us James Dobson, Dare to Discipline. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Oh. It's just like, it's one of those funniest memories ever. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, glad you didn't feel like you needed to read it. That's <laughs> yeah I think in parenting it's always good to just sort of learn to listen to your gut and each Mm -hmm. kid needs different things and that's okay (laughs) yeah yeah well I love how you brought up that point about developmentally appropriate what is developmentally appropriate and how do we know and that's going to be tricky without educating ourselves on what is developmentally appropriate and I don't think there's a whole lot of evidence-based research out there based on like the little bit that I've found as I've been searching. And so that is going to be something that I'm going to be continually looking for. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, as I keep doing this process over the next few years, I'll be able to put out more and more about developmentally appropriate things. But like you said, like kids are very egocentric. They're born very egocentric. When they're newborns, they cannot possibly conceive of anybody having feelings outside of themselves it's just impossible for them that's not evil (laughs) right it's not evil it's a skill that develops very slowly and very gradually over a long time and we can help out with that process by teaching them things like this is her bubble her body is not yours (laughs) and reinforcing that over and over and talking about things like consent checking in with them when my kids are roughhousing I remind them to pause every now and then and check in with them just because someone is laughing doesn't mean they're enjoying it. You know, yeah. Yeah. it yeah. can be tickled and um, until your face turns blue and you're laughing, but you're really not enjoying it. So I remind them how that feels for them, how to have empathy and, and consent in that way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just these skills are things that take so long and are so gradual and it's hard to not get very impatient with them because I already know how to do that. Why can't you figure this out? You know, yeah. we're coming perspective. Uh, but yeah, we can just be patient with them and work through them through their developmentally appropriate stages like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys have any other questions or things that maybe you ha- were thinking of or things that you've gotten from your listeners about yeah. specific things about, about parenting? I definitely had a question. Um... And I know your kids might be a little bit young for that, but I also know that um, on, on sexuality, like with mm-hmm. teens, um, it starts younger than teens. I know, I mean, that is definitely one thing. I'm, I was never, ever taught about consent. That was never, ever taught. Um, so I definitely, one thing I've been learning is how you teach consent from a young age. Like it, and it's not sexual. Like it is just consent on how you treat others. Like it, but that will lead to as your as you develop and your body changes, um, it leads into sexuality, um, and just consent is just really important. So that is definitely something that I want to change with my kids because I was not taught consent, and that is not right <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, so I know your kids are a little bit young, but you have been doing a lot more reading than I have. Um, and one thing that's overwhelming to me is as my kids get to teenage years. Um, for me, my, what I was taught with purity culture is suppress it all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the extent <laughs> of any sexual education that I received <laughs> until I taught myself in my thirties. <laughs> um, and I really wanted to be different with my kids and I have no clue <laughs> how, to teach a balanced perspective. Because again, I don't want this pendulum swing to, um, you can do whatever the heck you want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want them to be safe. I want them to be healthy. Um, But beauty culture is my background and I'm still working through a lot of that. (laughs) So I don't know if you have any input on that um, from your reading. Yeah, a couple things. So first of all, um, 
something that I've, I've heard a lot of parents say that's been really helpful for them is as they're talking with their kids, you know, their young kids, preteens, teens, and older, um, that they can tell their kids, uh, you know, mommy or dad, I'm going to say mommy because I'm mommy. Mommy is having a lot of big feelings about this because of the way that I was raised. And I was raised with a lot of shame about this. So I'm going to take a, a few minutes and just take some deep breaths and tend to my own feelings. And then I would be happy to talk with you about this. Um, and I think that's so important to be transparent with our kids. Take some time for yourself. Tend to your feelings. Let yourself feel the shame and then talk yourself, whatever, whatever you do to talk yourself down from that and remind yourself that was then this is me now. I know a lot more now. I know that I don't need to feel that shame. Even though it happens, I know that that's not necessary. And that's just a product of my upbringing. And I can, you know, get myself to a calm, collected place. So I'm not taking it out on my kid or accidentally throwing shame on them, you know? So I think that's been really, really helpful for a lot of parents being open with their kids about that, speaking out loud. Um, The other thing is um, teaching them right from a young age, right? So that it's not just like one big, um, we're all turning red in the face because we're so embarrassed about it, the talk, right? (laughs) At whatever age you've decided and whatever age that is, it's probably too late. Am I right? Yeah. (laughs) instead, Instead, we start like right from birth, you know, you teach them again, developmentally appropriate information based on where they're at. And it starts with consent and it starts with, I'm going to change your diaper now. Maybe they don't, they don't get a choice, you know, <laughs> you don't get to say yes or no. I get to <laughs> I'm gonna do no. it. <laughs> Just so you know, here's a toy to help you be more comfortable, whatever, you know, um, as they get a little bit older and they have a little more autonomy, would you like to wash yourself or do you want me to do it? You know, so they still get that a little bit of freedom and autonomy and that choice and that sense of like consent around my body. Um, we're always checking in with them. If we do tickle, if we do snuggle, if we do hug or kiss our children, we still talk to them. We ask them, is it okay if I, you know, do this before you do it? You don't just do it and they say, oh, hey, was that okay? That doesn't count. That's not the right mm-hmm. way to do it. Um, so again, we're, we're checking in with them. Uh, as they get a little bit older, you know, we talk to them about the different body parts. I'm sure as our little kids have been growing up together, they see there's a big difference between my son and my daughters, right? They can see their bodies look different and we can talk about, yeah, they are different. This is, you know, what he has and this is what she has. And we use the correct names Mm -hmm. for our genitals. And we talk about why they're there. We can talk about what's inside their internal organs, you know, why, just like we talk about like, this is your esophagus and this is your stomach and this is how your, this system works. You also have these other organs inside for one day when you get old enough, if you want, you don't have to, you can grow a baby. Yeah. Um, Things like that, you know? So again, just like develop in incrementally one resource that's uh, really helpful about this is called Salima Noon. I'm going to spell it. It's S-A-L-E-E-M-A, uh, second word, N-O-O-N. So two different words. And it's uh, sexual health educators. They do workshops. It can be a little bit pricey if you're just going to do it for your family. But if you have a homeschool co-op um, or if you can get together with some other families um, and do their virtual or their online workshops and they do a really great job of presenting information they call it body science and I so I love that like they're not teaching kindergartners sex ed this is body science um and they're teaching them these developmentally appropriate uh information and skills um for them so that's a a really helpful resource as well now when it does come time for your kids that like Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about having sex, you know, the more information that you can give them, the better choices they're going to make. Cause again, they really need that autonomy. They really need that freedom. They need the ability to go out there and make that decision and use their judgment. Cause that's also a skill that they need to be building up from infancy on is that judgment making skill. If you take that away and just always tell them what to do, they're not, they're not going to be able to make mm. good judgments once they do leave the mess, right? So you've got yeah. to let them practice making the, 
those, um, those judgments. And I know I'll be eating my words when my kids are that age. And I'll say, no, 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 you're just staying home forever. And you can't go. <laughs> I'm not going to let you. Let I'm sure that's going to happen. But right now it's, it seems like the wisest idea to give them all the information and then let them make the decisions for themselves. And what we know from research is that kids who have really, really good sex ed, uh, they know, um, so much about body parts, right? And, and the mechanics of sex and different kinds of sex and what it means and consent. And they know about STIs and they know about the risks and they know about contraceptives um, and they know about family planning and all of those things. They have sex way less than mm-hmm. other kids who don't have that information. They also have sex at older ages than kids who don't have that information. So again, if you want your kids to be healthy and make good moral choices and be safe and take care of their partners also, make sure that their partners are safe emotionally and physically, then giving them all this information is the absolute best way to accomplish that. And, and that's again, shown by multiple studies that shows that that for sure is the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that resonates with what we've researched as well, that, you know, Christians, what we were raised with is you suppress it. You don't talk about it, but it's kind of this like cookie in the cookie jar that's on the shelf that nobody talks about. And so everybody's like, you know, it, it must taste amazing, right? Like there's, there's just temptation is the only context. It's like, it's, it's gotta be amazing. And so you know, what the research does show is that when people from our types of background do engage in sex, it's often unprotected. It's often, you know, in unwise ways, it's Mm -hmm. the grabbing the cookie from the cookie jar instead of, okay, I'm a, I'm an adult or I'm a, I'm a older teenager and I'm making this decision, knowing the facts. It's like, I can't resist temptation or I'm just going to act out, you know, and, and really giving kids that information is really important and powerful as much as, you know, it terrifies me to think yeah. of how to do it and, and how to do it in the right way. I guess the thing that I'm hung up on is trying to figure out how to give the information without, um, you know, at, at the age appropriate times, uh, because you don't want to give so much so early that now they're infatuated by it or they're super curious when, you know, like you get to just be a kid for a while, you don't need to focus on this right now. Um, so that's kind of where I'm a little bit hung up is trying to figure out how much to tell when um, for the ages. I don't know if you have some insight on that. Yeah, so um, my oldest kid, when he was seven years old, knows he, he we discussed with him the mechanics of how sexual intercourse works. So that's age seven Um, and it hasn't had any negative effects. He doesn't seem to be obsessed about it or um, overly curious about like trying to see it happen or anything like access (laughs) things online, you know, he's not really, he's not really doing that. Um, He also was very curious about like what breasts look like because he like, he sees their general shape underneath clothes, but he doesn't have any daddy doesn't have any mommy has some so I'll try to I see him like trying to catch a peek of me sometimes when I'm like getting out of the shower or something <laughs> and I have to remind him like well that's my privacy you know and we have rules about privacy um but I can show you some il- like textbook illustrations of like what breasts look like and that was enough to satisfy his curiosity now he's not like going on the computer to try to look it up himself you know we don't want that um and he's not obsessing about it because he's had his curiosity uh, stated about it. Yeah. So I think um, if you're worried about opening the door to make them curious about something you don't exactly want them to be curious about right now, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say they probably already are. They're probably already curious. And if you haven't opened the door of that conversation, then you haven't given them permission to talk with you about Mm -hmm. it yet. So they're already thinking about these things. Uh, it's your job to open that door and say, Hey, let's talk about it. Um, here's a time to ask me questions. Like we're going on this car ride, right? Like we're going here, you're kind of stuck, you're a captive audience. And now is the time that you get to ask me about the, you know, X, Y, or Z. And I can explain anything you want. 
no judgment, no criticism, no question is a stupid question, things like that. And that can be really helpful to give them that permission, um, give them the language to talk about it. One yeah. of the worst possible things that could happen is if a kid is assaulted or harassed or touched or, you know, so, something that made them feel unsafe, but they don't have the language to talk with you about it because you haven't opened that up with them yet. So they don't know the words to say, like the cookie jar, right? They, it's something we never, ever, ever talk about. We don't even call it a cookie jar. We don't even call no. it a cookie, you know? Um, and so they sneak or something happens and now they, they can't even tell you about it. So now your kid is suffering and you don't even know. And that would just be like the worst case scenario. So yeah, so my advice would be go ahead and, and, and open up the door and ask them what they're curious about and help them say that curiosity in healthy ways. Teach them these are the healthy, safe ways of, of having your curious questions answered. That's, that's what I would say about that. I was thinking about how, you know, sometimes we watch movies or, or there's these cartoons that are made, you know, Shrek or whatever that has jokes in all the different ages and yeah. <laughs> you still watch it with them and we get stuff that they would never get. And just because they're hearing it doesn't mean that they're affected by it. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, it goes over their head. So I feel like if we talk to them about it too young, but we're doing it with no shame and they mm -hmm. can ask any questions they want. And there isn't that taboo aspect to it. Like you had growing up yeah. on it, then maybe mm -hmm. it's not opening the door too quickly to ruin their childhood, but it's actually just uh, like, Oh, okay. Well, it's no big deal. Um, and because the, I think it comes down to the shame factor. Like if it's talked yeah. about with shame, yeah. It's very different than if you talk about it young, but it's not taboo. <laughs> yeah. I think it can help if you have animals around. Like, I think it's right. easier to see, well, here are these, these are how these animals are produced, you know? Yeah. Um, my kids were at school this past year and um, the teacher had some turtles and there, there's a male and female turtle. And it happened to be at a time when the two turtles were mating and she's like, um, sorry, parents, you might have some uncomfortable conversations when your kids come home because this is what they saw at school. And luckily, I mean, my kids were already prepped and they, you know, just thought, oh, that was kind of funny. Yeah. Ha, ha. Um, and uh, we talked about it some more, you know, just tried to feel how they were feeling about it. And they were fine. Like there was no shame. Um, they didn't feel awkward. It didn't make them feel really embarrassed or red in the face. It was just like, oh, this is just a fact of life. Um, and so that was, that was really, really awesome. We brought them to the lake last spring and they, oh, yeah. they found some crayfish that were mating <laughs> and they're just oh. like, Oh, look, they're mating. Perfect. <laughs> just yeah, I yeah. and I are in the background, like all blushed, you know, because <laughs> it's so uncomfortable to us, but we're trying not to show our how yeah. comfortable it is to us. And to them, it's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did really appreciate how you started as kind of a theme through it of, trying to deal with your own stuff and keeping the shame out of it. Mm -hmm. I think we might be doing a better job than we think as far as communicating the facts and keeping the shame out of it, because I think they do have a fairly, I mean, it's just sex. It's just how it is. Um, yeah. I and feel I, extremely I, awkward about the conversation, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not sure that that completely translates. I hope, I don't think it does. I mean, I, we were using Kindle and I was reading a book on sex because I'm trying to teach myself I'm trying to take away the shame of it um, on my own. So, and so my kids wanted to read a book on Kindle and I was like, well, just like, don't go on that book. You know? And, <laughs> and they're like, my then nine-year-old was like, well, why would you be reading about sex? Like you've done it. Like he's counting how many kids in the family. <laughs> but like, <laughs> to him, it was no shame to it. It was no big deal. It was like, oh, that's so <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is actually like, it cracks me up, but it's also like really encouraging to hear him be like, why? Like it, no big deal, you know? <laughs> it's so awesome. Isn't that such a, like so mind blowing to see it the is. difference? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Comparing yeah. our childhood with, with theirs when they make different comments like that is just like, oh yes. my gosh. <laughs> I'm, I kind of envy you kids. <laughs> right right oh my gosh yeah yeah so I think I holding mean, on to comments that they make like that is very good for us because it 
it reaffirms, okay, we are doing okay. Um, they're not having any shame about this. Um, it, yeah, because we second guess ourselves a lot on how to do it, how we're doing as parents. But just noticing those comments and things like that can be very helpful. So I think it's something to keep in mind for parents out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, good for you. That that must feel so good too, right? Because I, I know I'm in the same place where uh, I, I have all this shame inside and I have to get over myself, you yeah. know, in order to teach my kids these healthier things and not um, give them like um, uh, hinder their growth uh, because of my hangups, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's so hard, but it's so uh, worthwhile then to see my kids. Uh, be able to talk about it without turning right in the face and without yeah. feeling like, oh, I'm talking about that thing we're not supposed to be talking about, exactly. you know, that yeah. I feel like inside. So yeah, yeah. good for you guys. It's awesome. Yeah. Yay, win. Yay, parenting wins. <laughs> Yay. Yes. I know we're kind of coming up on uh, a little over an hour now, but I wanted to see if there's any other questions that you guys wanted to cover before we wrap this up. Well, I'm not sure how we can fit it into like five or 10 minutes, but um, just discussing with kids a transition in their faith is something that, you know, is a conversation that's coming for sure. We haven't, churches haven't been open due to COVID. Um, but, you know, the oldest, especially, I've told him explicitly, you know, the reason we're on missions, the reason we're missionaries, because people are going to hell, you know, and we need to tell them about Jesus. And now his mom doesn't believe in you know in the christian message anymore, when i so. kind of mentioned something about that several months ago like you just start crying oh yeah and so we're like how do we i mean, I know they've overheard us talk uh together with friends this past year so they probably know more than we think but it is a question that I, that we had for you, if you because you've also done this faith transition like how do we talk to them without rocking their world too much because i know for me deconverting i felt my entire life foundation crumble and it was rough and I don't want that for my kids if I can help it. Um, but I want to open their minds up to life outside um, the church. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I do have some thoughts. So like I said, my kids are younger, so I'm not going to be able to speak from my own experience, sure. but just what I've gathered from other parents and in all the parenting Facebook groups that I'm part of, ex-Mormon ones, ex-fundamentalist ones, and um, what I've seen that's been really helpful. And two things. The first one is, is the more important one. And this is um, just like in any conversation where it's going to be kind of heavy, it might be kind of emotionally uh, laden. Uh, is always to make sure you're looking out for the other person's feeling of safety, right? In this case, it's not necessarily, or maybe their physical safety, but especially their mental and emotional and now spiritual safety. So always have that in the forefront of your mind. Whatever you're going to say to them, always make sure that, that you're trying to help them feel spiritually safe with you and with whatever information you're giving them. And that's going to be, the, I think, the hardest part is figuring out how to present this information in a way that's going to help them feel safe. But if you can, if you can manage that, if you can help them feel safe, they will be so much more willing to listen to what you're saying. If you come at this and you make them feel unsafe right off the bat, their, um, their protective mechanisms in their brain are going to go right up and there's going to be this concrete wall and nothing that you say at them is going to be able to get in. Um, and then they're going to feel like maybe they can't even talk to you about this thing anymore so that would be that would be the danger that's going to be like the a little bit walking on eggshells kind of um just being really careful thinking about what must it be like to be in their shoes and what do they need to hear to help them feel safe like i have their best interest in mind and i have their best spiritual interest in mind um so i'm going to say that's number one and that is absolutely so huge that keeping their safety in mind um the next thing is i'm going to say the the thing that I found um, is like the root catalyst of almost all faith deconstructions from all the people that I have talked with um, or read accounts from is they found out that they were deceived by someone, right? So maybe for me as Mormon, um, I believed in angels, right? If you believe the Bible, you believe in a talking donkey, right? And Balaam's <laughs> donkey. 
we believe in lots of crazy things. So it's not like, um, hey, guess what? Like, that was crazy, right? <laughs> you know, that's not going to make anyone understand your deconstruction. Um, because it, it's okay to believe in, in things that now I think seem a little bit, a little bit wild and, and far out there. And uh, if people are still holding on to those beliefs, again, like, that's fine. You know, we, we get to believe in whatever things that to other people might seem crazy, Noah's Ark, whatever. Um, but what I would want to explain to him is not that like, wow, well, these things are really crazy. So we don't believe in them more because they were crazy. Instead, it's, we don't believe anymore because we found out through this evidence that we were being lied to, right? Like I, I know Joseph Smith lied about practicing polygamy, right? And, and he coerced women into uh, these marriages by lying to them about their spiritual well-being. Um, he lied to their husbands. Um, I also know that the top leaders of the Mormon church lied about particular things. And that's really what broke my shelf. That's really what got me started down the deconstruction path. So if you can try to think of like, what was your catalyst? What was the thing that really made you start thinking, wait a second, where you never thought about that before? You know, you had lots of opportunities to think that before, but you never did until this you know, certain circumstance or set of circumstances happened. What was that for you? And you can explain that to your kid too. And my hope is that when you get to explain, this is the deception that I found out about. And once I realized that deception had happened or that deception was there, then I started wondering like, what else? What else was um, not... Uh, people were not being completely transparent with me about. Um, and, and then hopefully once your kid is feeling safe and you're showing so much empathy to them and then you explain the content, right? So, so you set up the setting and then you give the content of what you want to tell them about these things that, you know, maybe you felt lied to or you felt people were being dishonest about. Um, and then hopefully they'll be able to kind of be on the same page. They may not be. And that's kind of the risk it, here. They may decide, well, I still really want to keep going to church or I do believe differently than you. You know, they get to have that autonomy. They get to have yeah. that freedom of, well, I, I still believe in this, you know, and I still have this perspective and I want to keep going to church. Um, the, so those are my two main points. The last thing is obviously like community. I know for so many of us, community is huge. If they've got their, their best friends at church and they've, they have their identity built up with like, th this is who I am. I am an evangelical youth and I am a leader in my youth group and people look up to me and I have all these friends here. Like, I can't leave that. That's totally understandable. Yeah. And so your job is again, make them feel safe and empathized with, and you, you can let them know, like, I, I know how that must feel for you. And like, and you get to decide, you know, wh what you're going to do with this information and where you're going to go from there. So that's, uh, that's my two cents is, um, uh, those, those couple of things, but first and foremost, yeah. always safety. I love that. I love that you emphasize that safety. Um, and that's going to look different for each family and even mm -hmm. each kid, because they don't mm -hmm. have the same safety needs. Um, yeah. Some of them need a lot more reassurance of that safety than others. So I love that. Um, and just like there isn't an answer book that tells us how to do everything. That's kind of one of these subjects here that mm. um, doesn't have a black and white answer. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of have to, it's very helpful to be reminded of that safety thing. I had not thought about it from that perspective. So I'll definitely keep that in mind. Um, and then to think through um, just how it looks for yourself, for your kid, um, and also not to just postpone it like we've been doing because we don't know what to do. So just start and trust yourself to, and that you know your child and can just do the best you can. We don't have to be perfect. Uh, we're not perfect and that's okay. Nobody is perfect, but we do the best we can. And continue to have an ongoing open conversation about it. Yeah. And that I just appreciate you kind of, it's just showing me like it's, it's time to start the discussion and this is kind of the ways that we can phrase 
and, and begin a conversation. I think the, the first thing that changed for me, and it was changing at the same time that she deconverted is I don't believe in hell anymore. And mm. I actually had a very fragile view of like, I was kind of only barely holding on to that view anyways for a long time for theological reasons, because it's a, it's a theologically problematic doctrine already. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially the conscious eternal torment. It makes no sense along a lot of different, um, it, for a lot of different reasons, it doesn't really make sense. And there's only a few scriptures that are kind of ha- hash mashed together from all different parts of the Bible. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So yeah. it is something I want to just sit down and say, you know, I think I taught you wrong on this specific thing because I don't think that's what the Bible actually says, no matter what perspective you're coming from. Um, and that would, that for me gave me peace to say, I, I don't think you're going to hell because of this, you know? Um, and then from there, I think the thing that has, the reason we're able to have this podcast together is because I'm very focused on Jesus and Jesus has a lot to say that's very similar to what a humanist would say, mm-hmm. you know, about, you know, anti-religion and, focusing on the vulnerable of society instead of just propping up religious institutions and focused on, you know, it's not just membership in our religious group that's run by men that gets you into heaven. It's actually being a decent fucking human being um, to paraphrase. Um, So, (laughs) so those are his exact words. (laughs) So there might be a way um, to kind of, reorient them towards that to like you know mom thinks about these things differently but she's really focused on the same sorts of things of she wants to be a kind decent human being like jesus wants us to be um so what do you think that god sees about that if you believe in god you know like there might be a way instead of just saying she's an unbeliever (laughs) and it did your point did make me think about that like what was the tipping point i mean there's quite a few different things but really it was how the church teaches forgiveness, like forgive and forget, basically. And our experience at the time was basically being told to forgive and forget the abuse that had happened. And I was not willing to put up with that. And that was the end. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So even to be able to present that, like, no, I think I was lied about how we're supposed to handle abuse. And this is how the church does it. And that's why I can't subscribe to it anymore. Um, Said, anyway, good, good food for thought. Thank yeah. you. I've really, really appreciated this podcast. Um, we are going to go do our homework now. <laughs> but we just, yeah, thank yeah. you. One quick thing, what Josiah said when, when you said in this hypothetical conversation with your kid, what do you think God would want? What do you think he would feel about this? That is so huge and so important because you're showing your kid that their opinion matters mm-hmm. and their judgment matters. And that's going to help them continue to uh, work on their judgment making skills. Um, and, and that their opinion and that their, what they have to say is safe with you, right? That you're not going to listen to what they have to say and then break it down and tell them right. why they're just wrong. Right. Yeah. But that you're going to listen and, and appreciate and empathize with what they say. Again, making them feel safe with you. They're so safe to come and talk with you about anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. So that, that'll really, really help uh, with your relationship with your kid. Definitely. This has been great. Thank you so yeah. much for taking the time to come on our podcast and share some of your wisdom with us. <laughs> My pleasure. This is so, so nice to talk with you too. And thank you so much for having me on. This has been such a delight. So again, for our listeners, you can um, find Rachel on Pulse Foreman Parenting, TikTok, mm-hmm. Instagram, and YouTube. Great content. <laughs> thank you so much, Rachel. I hope you have a good day. Thank you so much. You too. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.